0: Hello, welcome to First Bite, I'm Anita Barrow. On the show today, kindness in action.
1: May I please claim a suspended coffee?
2: And what would you like to eat, Rachel?
1: We'll get the Mediterranean vegetable Turkish and I'll share with the kids, thank you.
2: It's built the most unlikely friendships and connections. We have millionaires sitting next to people who are borderline homeless. We have responsible lawyers and there's drug addicts.
1: It's not easy to ask for help when you walk around with a smile and you just want everyone to think that you're just fine and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you need a little pat on the back to say it's going to be okay. And when you come into the cafe, that's what you get.
0: The suspended coffee movement and it's spreading through cafes around the country. That's later. Now let's get into the sticky science of gluten.
2: People are very anti-gluten which bothers me because I'm very pro-pizza and you can't be (laughs) pro-pizza and anti-gluten. So now some people can't eat gluten for medical reasons, which that I get. It annoys me, but I get it. But a lot of people here don't eat gluten because like uh, someone in their yoga class told them not to. Here in L.A. it's comparable to Satanism.
0: U.S. comedian Jimmy Kimmel, who followed up with a straw poll where he found people were avoiding gluten without actually knowing what it was. But is this protein compound found in grains like wheat, rye and barley, the culprit, the agent of Satan no less? It's blamed for all sorts of bowel irritations, bloating and other chronic conditions. Here in Australia, about one million people try to avoid foods that contain gluten, things like pasta, bread and wheat flour, and many say they feel better for it. But apart from those who are celiacs, which is an autoimmune disease that affects around 250,000 Australians, are we needlessly forking out more money to buy produce that is marked gluten-free and it's outrageously expensive? The answer isn't easy. And it's one of the reasons why Professor Peter Gibson and his team decided to test an earlier study that suggested that indeed, gluten intolerance may be a genuine condition. He wanted to delve deeper. And what he found in the new study was a whole other and possibly more insidious story. To explain with me is Peter Gibson. He's a professor of gastroenterology at Monash University and director of the GI unit at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne.
3: Well, the first study we did was a pilot study. We found a signal to say that maybe gluten is the villain in causing symptoms. So we wanted to do a proper, well-designed study using gold standard techniques. What that means is you give people the gluten or the placebo. They don't know what they're getting and they get it for a while and then they cross over and get the other one for a while and we see if there's any difference. And it was about 37 people? 37 people, We targeted people who had bloating, abdominal pain, change of bowel habits, which had improved when they were on a gluten free diet. And they were on a gluten free diet when they came into the study. And what did you find? What we've found is that people who have what they believe is non celiac gluten sensitivity, in other words, they've got abdominal symptoms, they've been on a gluten free diet and feel better, when we surveyed them, we found that a lot of them still had a lot of symptoms. And the key question here is when people go on a gluten-free diet and feel better is it due to the fact that they've stopped gluten or is it due to the fact they've reduced something else and that our studies would suggest that it's the FODMAPs that they're reducing which are causing the improvement in their abdominal symptoms rather than the gluten.
0: And before we go any further, a reminder of what FODMAPs are. Here's your colleague, Dr. Sue Shepherd, speaking on RN First Bite. Sue's a highly regarded dietitian specialising in gastrointestinal illnesses.
4: So, FODMAP is an acronym that refers to fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Foods high in FODMAPs. First of all, if we look at the foods that have got lots of excess fructose, that includes honey. And then with the fruits, that's apples, pears, mango. Watermelon and with the fructans that's present in onion and the onion family, garlic, leeks, shallots, it's in wheat, rye and barley. With lactose, lactose is present in milk but interestingly it's not every product made from milk that's an issue. It is an issue in milk, ice cream, custards, yogurts and soft cheeses that are unripened, such as ricotta, cream cheese. Now with the galacto-oligosaccharides, or what we abbreviate to being goss, that's present in the legumes. And the polyols, these are the, the sugar alcohols, found in some fruits, including, again, apples and pears. It's also in cherries, peaches, plums, some vegetables, including mushrooms, cauliflower, snow peas. And then it can be used as an artificial sweetener.
3: It's uh, it sounds very complex, but gluten coexists with fructans and galacto oligosaccharides, these GOSS that Sue was talking about. So when you stop gluten, you reduce your intake of these oligosaccharides, which are these components which can cause a lot of bloating and tummy problems. So what we believe is that the FODMAPs are the things that are causing the majority of the gut upset and not the gluten. So from this study, this revision of the
0: original Mm -hmm. study, you found Absolutely no specific response to gluten. Absolutely
3: no specific response.
0: So just to clarify, if people are avoiding gluten products like wheat, they're also avoiding partially maps. but essentially people still see gluten as the as the culprit.
3: That's right because that's what is in the internet, what is written about, what uh, movie stars and tennis players write about and so it's been very confusing for everyone. That was the motivation for doing the studies to find out what the actual, they get closer to the truth.
0: I wonder what about the idea that the real culprit here is industrialisation, that the grains that we eat now are not the the grains that we evolved with.
3: There are some ancient wheats which have less fructans but not They've still got them. But there's a, the other issue is that the reason why these intolerances seem to be much more common now, irritable bowel is more common, that the bowel is much more sensitive now, and this could be related to our lifestyle, to uh, what happens in our childhood, all, all the things that have been blamed, but uh, nobody's quite sure about why they occur. W- one of the things I would say is that irritable bowel syndrome is common across the entire world. It's not just restricted to Western industrialised societies.
0: Alessio Fasano, a gastroenterologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in, in Boston, says, you studied the wrong population, that including only people who have conditions linked to the gut and bowel, he's convinced that the entire human race is not evolved to digest gluten.
3: Well, I think that that would be very sad if that were the case because wheat is a major source of nutrients to the world. And if we took wheat away, there'd be a lot of starvation in the world. Dr. Fasano, it's a hypothesis only, and there are many people who have this idea that gluten is bad for all of us. But what we need is evidence than what Dr Fasano has not produced his evidence that his theory is actually correct and what we have been doing was is trying to address these issues at least in small ways and we've addressed it with regard to the gut symptoms and that's not related to gluten in the majority of people we haven't done the whole population we've only done 37 people but in those it was not the gluten that was causing the trouble what what can we take away from this study what's the message here there are a few messages First of all, that uh, that if you go on a gluten-free diet and you feel better, it's not necessarily the gluten that's causing the trouble. Secondly, that anyone who goes on a gluten-free diet should be checked for celiac disease before you go on to the gluten-free diet because it's much harder to diagnose or exclude celiac disease once a person is well established on a gluten-free diet. So that's a really important thing. I think that if people are focusing on gluten, they'll go to the supermarket and see the array of things which are low gluten-free, gluten therefore it must be healthy. That is not the case if you look at many of the uh, gluten-free products. It's also very expensive.
0: Professor Peter Gibson and Professor Gibson and his colleagues
3: at Monash University
0: have developed an app for identifying those FODMAP foods and there'll be a link on our website along with the gluten studies and our previous story FODMAPs and fructose intolerance. This is RN First Bite, I'm Anita Barrow and with me is Noel McKeegan, he's the editor of gizmag.com and he's going to tell us the latest developments in food technology. Welcome Noel. Hi Anita. And Noel, when we think of vending machines, we think of pies, chips, fizzy drinks, bad foods, but there's now a growing healthier option available.
5: Yeah, absolutely. This group in Chicago has now put out one that actually sells fresh salads, which is a nice change for the vending machine. They've got three
0: out at the moment, and I think they've got another twenty planned for the very near future. Some vending machines do have bits of dried up lettuce and tomato, dried up tomato. This is organic. Absolutely, yeah, it's about local the food.
5: Yes, so they're, as you say, local, locally sourced food that's organic, produced fresh every morning, delivered to the vending machines by 10am. Then if there's excess at the end of the night, are they discounted after 6pm? And then it's given to um, local food charities and things. So yes, no frinkly brown lettuce.
0: And I mean, this is a bit of a trend in the US, isn't it? Because there was cupcake, and I, I've heard of cupcake vending machine that also dispenses not just cupcakes, but cupcake mixers and aprons and utensils. So if you've got a kind of midnight yearning to bake some cupcakes, mm. you can go and get it. <laughs> As you do. And in the higher end of the cooking market, here's something. Cooking with a smartphone, the sous vide. First of all, explain what it is. Sous vide means under vacuum in French. So the food
5: is in a sealed, vacuum sealed bag and it's simply a matter of putting it in at a constant temperature. So it's put in water that circulates at a constant temperature and it's very much, a or has been until recently anyway, a gourmet cooking thing where you can cook a steak for three days. Particular things happen with the enzymes and things in the steak and apparently very amazing food that you can get out of them. It's something that's uh, very much almost science machines and they cost you know, upwards of $1,500, but there's ones coming onto the market for under $400. As you mentioned, some of them are, are doing like hookups with your smartphone so you can monitor what's going on with the food. So um, they're starting to mass produce and get some of these off the ground. And the other thing they're doing is instead of having a dedicated unit, they look kind of like one of those bar mix things. So you, you, you put you it on the the pot and it's got a heating element and a way to circulate the water and um, you can put your steak in on Friday and have it on Sunday. I mean, there are safety issues here.
0: You've got uh, to yes. keep it sort of at a a 57 degree. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I've heard this can all be achieved with an Esky and a thermometer. Uh, It could, yes.
5: Well, I've actually got a friend who swears by that method, but I think the problem is that circulation. wouldn't recommend putting a piece of uh, steak in a esky with a fish
0: tank heater for three days i'm not sure that that's the way to a gourmet meal but i mean with this fancy new one that's more affordable you can have it on your smartphone you can check it's what's happening through your smartphone even change the temperature and i think what about this one where you're able to check whether your food is safe yeah
5: another interesting one yeah that's crossed our desk in the last week or two, it's called the Peras. It's out of Lithuania. What this one is emulating is when you take a piece of meat or or something out of the fridge, you sniff to see if it's okay. This is an electronic version of that, which measures temperature, humidity, and I think up to 100 different volatile organic compounds and um, levels of ammonia, things like that, gases. It takes a reading of your chicken that you've just removed from the fridge, and it can tell you whether it's basically safe to eat or not, and of course it does that by uh, a connection to an app on your smartphone. And this thing is, is it's kind of about the size of a bar of soap and you just um, put that near your food for about five seconds. It takes a reading and then it um, does these calculations and comes up on your smartphone as to whether your chicken's right to eat or not.
0: I have to say I think a good sniff is probably <laughs> the best still way of getting to know your food, in fact. I mean, are we in danger of leaving everything to technology, really? I to agree. Although the World Health Organization says at least more than 200 diseases can be spread through food.
5: Yes and they do do a good demonstration of this uh, little gadget that has meat which looks and smells for all intents and purposes okay but the, um, the machine's saying that it's, that it's not right to eat so there may be those occasions as well but um,
0: I think we're pretty safe in a country like this anyway sticking with the nose. Thanks Noel. Thanks a lot, Anita. Noel McKeegan, Editor-in-Chief of GizMag.com. This is RN First Bite. A study by a Tasmanian university has found that we are not, as some may think, living in an age of moral decline. Interestingly, the study found that younger generations outdo the baby boomers. They're six times more likely to give to strangers. However, the majority of Australians are committed to kindness as a moral value and are motivated by internal feelings like authenticity rather than religion or community expectation. And this authenticity may be one of the factors driving the acts of kindness happening in cafes across the country, as Kate Walton discovers.
6: Could I please have a peppermint tea? And can I also get um, two tucker tokens, please? And actually, I should get a suspended coffee as well, shouldn't I? Thank you. That is wonderful to see how many you've got at the moment. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's
7: Shirley James-Sharry. She's donating a free coffee and a free meal at Brisbane Cafe Cut From Above. This growing international trend of buying two coffees and leaving one in suspense is a new incarnation of an old trend that's thought to have started more than a century ago in working-class cafes of Naples. The story goes that when a person experienced good luck, they'd buy two coffees, one for themselves and one for someone in need. After the Second World War, this tradition declined, but since the GFC, there's been a resurgence, and it spread to cafes in Europe, US, Canada, South America, and here in Australia. Cup from Bub was one of the first cafes in Australia to adopt this Italian tradition. And I'm here to speak with Shirley James-Sharry, who runs the social media page that promotes suspended coffees in Queensland, and the cafe's founder and former social worker, Adam Cox.
2: On the weekend we had quite a few. Monday we have got inundated with people in need who... Um, uh, yeah, wanted, wanted a bit of love and a bit of, of a hot drink, and uh, by Monday lunchtime we had zero on the wall. And then we put it out a post out to the community just saying that the rack's empty, and within 24 hours we, <laughs> it's overloaded again.
7: That social media call out led to around 80 food and drink donations, which translated into 80 homemade tokens hanging on the cafe's wall.
2: If they're familiar with the system, they just come in, grab a token, put it down on the counter and they just ask for what they'd like, just so they're putting down money.
6: Some include your names. I like the anonymous too because it's just that idea that somebody you don't even know wants you to enjoy something. So there's that real connectedness and to me it's kindness and inclusion as well. Obviously I work with children with disabilities so the idea of people being together that's what drew me to the whole idea. Knowing that people would be welcomed into cafes to feel part of the community, that was my driving force.
7: Rachel has a local cleaning business
1: which is struggling. She's a regular at Cup from Above. This week's a little bit hard for me and um, I'm going to claim a tucker token as well. Um, there's been times where I've donated and been able to Uh, put something into the community but today's the day when I kind of need to do a little withdrawal and um, it's just you know, it's going to help me a little bit for my day today. And what will it bring? (laughs) Just that little bit of joy that someone in the community has done something for me you know, at times I've done something for them and and what goes around does come around Right. So you get to take one of those off there? May I please claim a suspended coffee? Uh, Cappuccino, two sugars on soy, please.
2: Um, And what would you like to eat, Rachel? Um,
1: We'll get the Mediterranean vegetable Turkish and I'll share with the kids. Thank you. It's not easy to ask for help when when you walk around with a smile and you just want everyone to think that you're just fine and sometimes you're not. Sometimes you need a little pat on the back to say it's going to be okay. And when you come into the cafe, that's what you get. You walk through that door and you're not judged, you know. They'll listen to your story. They're not just going to hand over food to you and say, see you later. You just find yourself speaking about what's going on. You can be heard and you can walk away feeling brighter and better. Shirley james Sherry has watched the movement grow in Australia in the
6: past 12 months. We have over 30 in Queensland now. It's always interesting about the placement of the cafe. That's always very important because we obviously want cafes that are in more vulnerable areas, but they're also harder to come by. Oh, and I have got the loveliest teapot I have ever seen. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) One of the things that people talk about is making
7: sure that the coffee or the food gets to the right person.
6: Firstly, I'd like to know this word, right person, and what that actually means to you. I think the right person is um, the the person who needs that at that time. And what I have found with every cafe that I've interacted with is that their definition of right is... Um, not based on judgment and that is what is exactly this is about it's based on kindness we don't know at any given stage the person who has come and has asked for, uh, to enjoy a suspended coffee, what is going on in their lives, so it is very important that we allow people to feel that generosity regardless of their circumstance and it's not for us to decide
2: A cup of coffee itself, it tastes good We love it, but no one needs a cup of coffee. But everyone needs love, everyone needs to connect, Um, everyone needs to feel that they belong. So Suspended Coffee has paved the way for those connections to happen here organically.
7: Cut From Above founder Adam Cox was a social worker for 10 years before starting this cafe. He sees the potential for social change in the suspended coffee movement.
2: It's built the most unlikely friendships and connections. We have millionaires sitting next to people who are, you know, borderline homeless. We have responsible lawyers and there's drug addicts who are people you know really struggling with addiction, sitting side by side.
7: It's sort of like um, the coffee or the food facilitates more support for them.
2: Exactly. Exactly. We constantly get people here. It'll sometimes three a day, like strangers coming in and just uh, getting us to spend a suspended coffee and then breaking down in tears. And cause some something's happened in their life, and they've got no one to talk to about it. And they end up the suspended coffee facilitates that conversation and then some sort of healing for them to talk about.
6: Hi, my name's Kathy. I was wearing a wig up to just a few weeks ago I have tried many times to grow my hair but through domestic violence and other things that have happened and so it actually brought my steam up knowing that people cared out there and coming into this place I was able to take that off now I now have you know my blonde hair and I'm trying to grow it and I'm happy with how things are I'm able to you know come into a place like this and feel good be myself not have any judgement and, yeah, just enjoy a coffee. Cut From Above is a special case. It's a social
7: enterprise run by volunteers and everything they do there is about supporting the most vulnerable in their neighbourhood. So much so, they're taking steps to become a charity. But according to Adam, it hasn't been smooth sailing. There was a noticeable downturn in business when they started suspended coffees. And then history repeated itself.
2: On the one year anniversary we released Tucker tokens, which is the food version of suspended coffees, and we saw this, the exact same dip again so it was about i don 't know fifteen to twenty percent drop for the few weeks directly after, especially with the Tucker tokens we saw people like even more extreme need than the suspended coffees, so homeless folk and um, drug addicts um, ex cons.
7: I was keen to see how suspended coffee works in a cafe where profit is a driving factor. One cafe owner declined to be interviewed but said they had to downsize their involvement in the charitable coffee scheme. This was because they felt that the community of homeless people around their cafe had taken advantage of the system, too much so. However, Thrive on George had a very different experience. It's a successful inner-city cafe on a noisy main road not far from Roma Street Station in Brisbane. It's been running for six years, and over the past year they've provided around 800 suspended coffees. This area has a lot of homeless people, especially at night. I spoke to owner
8: Michelle Balsamara during their lunchtime rush. You know, there's been comments in the media that there's an abuse of the system and it's just is not the case. Most people, you know, have a lot of pride and they don't want to feel like they're getting a handout and they don't want to abuse the system. They think a coffee is enough and we nearly sometimes have to force them to pick some food, take a seat, but they are very conscious of your customers and very respectful of that. So, yes, it's, I think it's if we make them feel warm and welcome, then with time they will feel they can be... Yeah, rather so being ostracised, I guess. So are you motivated in terms of being more socially inclusive? Is that kind of an indicative of what you're trying to do with the suspended food? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, socially inclusive and just making sure that they are eating well, just that they are look, being looked after.
7: Yeah, so how do you make sure that your staff feel like they can navigate sometimes some challenging behaviours
8: that people that are highly vulnerable might exhibit? So we speak to our team members about the fact that some of our homeless people may not be having a good day just like all of us but because there's a prevalence of mental health, alcoholism, drug abuse that their nature can change from day to day, hour to hour and to be aware of that, uh, not to take it personally but um, you know, respectfully navigate the situation try to calm them down if possible, not to put yourself in danger, make sure the customers aren't in danger, but just treat them respectfully. Um, And, yeah, we have had some customers in where they've been quite aggressive to the team members and customers, and, yeah, we've just clearly explained, but, you know, empathetically, that we can't accept this behaviour in here and maybe come back later. I think there's only been a couple of occasions where our regular patrons have Probably just by their facial expression, expressed a concern that a gentleman that didn't smell quite right, because obviously he hadn't had a bath for a while, was probably offensive to them. Look, I, I think that you know in life you've got to give and take a little bit, and as much as we love our patrons, if they're going to get upset about something, as you know, as mine was that while they're staying here for a couple of minutes waiting for their coffee, you know we can apologise, but if they decide not to return because. We have this some um, service here. Then I'm not going to stop it because of that. The majority of our customers love it, embrace it. When one of our vulnerable customers come in, they see it, the giving in action. I think it makes their day.
0: Kate Walton reporting there, and I hope you have a cup of kindness too. Next week, I'm on the hunt for a plant. It has many names, Moss Rose, Pursley or Purslane. An African chief loved it so much, he named it after his favourite wife's buttocks. It has the highest omega-3 in a land-based plant and is probably growing voraciously near you. A big thanks to producer Maria Tickle. I'm Anita Barrow.